Welcome back to the Dante's Divine Comedy Podcast. Hope you're having a great morning and a great day. My name is Richard. I will be your host today. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the 1300s in Florence. So this is building on the previous episode with the rise of the merchant class in the 1200s. And now we're going to look at how things are playing out in the in the next century then with uh, the beginnings of Dante, but also how, uh, how the merchant class continues to grow. And then you have... Uh, a decade of horrible events in the 1340s with, uh, with the Black Death and also uh, bankruptcies and then economic crashes. And then we're going to see how the end of it also leads up to what becomes later the Renaissance in the 1400s. But from the beginning of the 1300s, especially culture is, is really thriving and growing here. So uh, we're going to look at now briefly just the, the, the cultural uh, perspective first with like the in the arts you have the one who's considered as, in many ways, the first Renaissance painter is Giotto. And uh, also right before him, you have Cimabue. So he's in the end of the 1200s and Giotto is then firmly in the 1300s. Those two are the main figures in the earliest movements of the painting of the Renaissance. And we're going to read just a little quote from from the comedy when Dante describes these two. Dante was a friend of Giotto. Giotto also made a, a portrait of him. And they were about the same age. Giotto was two years younger. But Dante talks about these two in the Purgatory, chapter 11, when he gets into the first first terrace of, uh, of pr- uh, pride and humility. And he talks about like earthly fame. So he says here then, uh, Once Cimabue thought to hold the field as painter, Giotto now is all the rage, dimming the luster of the other's fame. So one Guido takes from the other one poetic glory and already born perhaps is he who will drive both from fame's nest so this is just uh, and Dante continues with your earthly fame is but a gust of wind that blows about shifting this way and that and as it changes quarter changes name so this is how Dante puts these two very important figures into the comedy And then when it comes to architecture, you have so many of these, the most beautiful buildings in Florence today were started being built in the early 1300s. For example, uh, Basilica di Santa Croce, Santa Maria Novella, Santa Maria del Fiore, which is the the main Duomo in the middle, and also Palazzo Vecchio was started in 1299. Uh, Many of these are attributed to the same architect, Arnolfo di Cambio, with Santa Croce, Santa Maria Novella, which is the one close to the train station, and also Palazzo della Signora, which is Palazzo Vecchio. It's interesting with Palazzo Vecchio because it became the, the, the seat of the priors in 1302, just two years after Dante was a prior, when they were in the Chestnut Tower, which is next to the Casa di Dante. So, um, and there's another thing with, with uh, Palazzo Vecchio, it's a little aside, but... Underneath Palazzo Vecchio, you have the remnants of an old Roman theater. So when they built it, they used some of these cavities under the arches of the theater as prison in the basement of the Palazzo Vecchio. Uh, You can go and visit it today. It's kind of hidden. It's kind of hard to find it. And it's a part of the Florentine history that Florence today are not promoting because they promote the Renaissance and not the Roman foundations of the city. So that's another little interesting thing if you start digging down into the history of Florence. And we also want to read just very briefly from Villani, who was the contemporary historian of Dante, when he writes about 
the, the beginning of Santa Croce, so uh, which is then the, the Franciscan church in Florence. So it says, Negli anni di Cristo, 1294, so in the year of Christ uh, 1294, uh, il di Santa Croce di Maggio si fondò la grande chiesa nuova di frati minori. Differenza detta Santa Croce. So it was founded, the, the grand, the big, the great church, uh, new church of the monks. And he also says there, uh, Tutta la buona gente di Firenze, like all the good people of Florence, uomini e donne, men and women, con grande festa e solennitade. Like with a, with a great, a, a grand uh, party, celebration and solemnity. So this is how he describes it in Book 9, Chapter 7. So that was the, the painting, the architecture, and then for literature, 1300s is then the, the giant of them all in some sense, is Dante, even if he didn't live in Florence then anymore, but he's still kind of the first 20 years of the century. He is writing many books, including then the comedy, so that is very much the 1300s. You also have Petrarca, who is considered the founder of humanism, and you have Boccaccio, who wrote, among other things, a Dante biography, and also the Decamerone, which we will get back to a little bit later. Uh, Boccaccio is also the one who designated the comedy, as Dante called it, for the Divine Comedy. It was only printed as, or published as the Divine Comedy in 1555, but Boccaccio called it the Divine Comedy in his biography which was written between, for those interested, between 1357 and 1362, in the middle of the 1300s, and it was uh, published in 1477. Uh, but just to be extra precise, uh, Boccaccio didn't call it as the title, The Divine Comedy, he just said that this, he used this as an adjective, which he also used like the divine Virgil, the divine scripture, <laughs> um, and then also the divine uh, stories of uh, Homer. But then again, the sentence of being the divine comedy from Dante then became the name. So that was the culture with art, architecture and literature. So then we're going to move more to the events that happened during this century, both like political, economic events and, and other uh, events that shaped this, the century. You could say overall is very much defined by the Black Death, but also many other events and a continued growth of the merchant class and we get the roots of what will become the Renaissance in the 1400s. So if we begin with the first decades, then you had new records for the Florentine economy, arts and culture. In those years, uh, you, many of the great buildings were started being carried out with the cathedral, Palazzo Vecchio, the city walls, and others were begun like Giotto's Campanile, or San Michele, the Loggia della Signoria, and the Loggia del Bigallo. Uh, which the, la the latter is seen as one of the best expressions of Gothic architecture in Florence. You can see it at the, if you go to the, to the main Duomo, Santa Maria del Fiore, and you have the baptistry, you can see it like next to that one on the corner, you have this Loggia del Bigallo. So the growth of the city was very much driven by banking. For example, the families of the Spini, the Frescobaldi, the Bardi, the Peruzzi, the Mozzi, the Acciuoli and the Bonacorsi. So they were lending to the popes in Avignon and to the sovereigns in Europe, especially the kings of France and of England. And in addition, we had the manufacturing industries, in particular wool, and maybe about 10% of woolen cloth in the whole of Europe was produced in Florence. 
So trade, banking, and manufacturing created a mutual growth and an extraordinary wealth in the city. So this is important history for both like, uh, to, in general growth of cities in Europe at the time, but then these ones being one of the first ones in Italy and especially then Florence. And Florence was also on its way to become a leader of the regional state of Tuscany. So those are the beginnings of the century. Then you have an incident in 1333. Then you have a big flood in Florence and it destroys three of the four bridges over the Arno and also the ancient statue of Mars, which is and was seen as a bad omen. This statue is also referred in earlier episodes because that's where you had the, the, the killing of Buon del Monte, which started this strife between the, the Guelphs and the Ghibellini in the first place. So that was 1333. And then comes the 1340s. So we have two big catastrophes in the 1340s. The first is an economic crash. So we have the beginnings of the Hundred Years' War between England and France. And this brings King Edward III to insolvency. He was reigning, by the way, for 50 years, from 1327 to 1377. And this creates a shock of bankruptcies among the lenders of the Florentine bankers. So then between 1342 and 46, several families go bankrupt, including the Bardi, Peruzzi, Accioli, and Bonacorsi. And then just two years after that, in 1348, the Black Death comes, the big plague. And then the estimates are that around 50% of the city dies, including Dante's son, Jacopo. And uh, the city, the population goes down from maybe around 100,000 citizens down to maybe 50 or maybe 30,000. This is... Uh, a little bit hard to estimate in part because many people fled to the countryside, um, but other people had to stay in the city. Uh, and the idea of going to the countryside is, is uh, so in some ways the framing of Boccaccio's uh, big work, the Decamerone, where they flee into the countryside and start telling stories because there is a plague in the city. And the Black Death also led to shortage of labor, including farming, and it resulted in several years of severe famine. So this was really the, the, the horrendous decade of the 1300s. And then we're going to look at the last part of the 1300s. We have the War of the Eight Saints. So this is the 1370s, from 75 to 78. So this is part of the, the back and forth between the papacy and Florence. So the papal legates were uh, reassigning the territories of the papal states in view of the Pope's imminent return to Rome from Avignon. So this is right before the papacy will be moved back into Italy again, to Rome. And Italy had not yet recovered from the shock of the Black Death in 1348 and still suffered cyclically from its consequences with residual waves of epidemic, famine and economic stagnation due to the lack of labor. And then the, the event that sparks a, a war here is that the papal legates... Uh, all of French origin, disliked by the local population, were struggling with problems in Bologna, and then a request for grain arrived from Florence, and then the cardinal in the city, uh, Giuliano Nolet, 
he refuses this request, and this was seen as an attempt to weaken Florence before trying to conquer it. And then he also uh, had the entry of Giovanni Acuto's troops into Florentine territory. So then you get a war, it's incited by the lower classes and the enemies of the Avignon court in Florence, and you get a battle. And then several cities join in. Milano, Lucca, Siena, Pisa, Arezzo, Perugia, Assisi, Orvieto, uh, Sartiano, Camerino, Ferno, Ascoli, and many others. Uh, <laughs> all over the northern part of Italy with the city-states. So then, uh, the Pope Gregory XI excommunicates the Florentines, declaring the debts to be forfeited, and then expelling 600 of them out of Avignon, confiscating all their goods. Then the Florentines have a counter-move, and then they call the Majesties of War the Eight Saints, and then later with the election of Pope Urban VI, you have a peace, and then it was signed in 1378. So this is kind of just one of those many battles between Florence, Tuscany, and, and in some sense also kind of the merchant classes or the old dynasties towards the papacy. And um, also as a part of this, you do get the return of the papacy. Uh, Catherine of Siena is, a, is, a, is an important uh, part of this process. She's seen then as the great mediator between the opposing interests of the Florentines and the papacy. So the papacy returns then in 1377 after being moved into France in 1309. So, that was one of the wars, and then there are two more events of this century. You have a, a small uh, revolt called the Chompi Revolt, which is a part of the lower merchant classes rising up. Uh, this was uh, many of the people from the, the wool art. They wanted higher wages, better living conditions, and the legal recognition of their profession in an art. So they rise up, they have huge success, but then very quickly, a few years later, uh, in 1382, things change and all the reforms are annulled. And what happens in 1382, so now we get to the last part of the century, is that the political power returned to the hands of a small number of banking families, including the Albizzi family. So this is then seen as the, the, the era of the Albizzi. This lasts for... 50 years, 52 years, from 1382 to 1434. And this leads directly into the Medici's. So the Albizzi, they, had the, they controlled the list of citizens to be elected. They had a solid array of allied families and they defeated all their rivals, the Ricci, the Alberti. And then they represented the old oligarchy, but... Since we now were in this overall movement of the rise of the merchant classes and kind of the sort of a middle class in some sense, many of the other families who now become more commercial and merchants, they unite around the Medici family, including also uh, the people from the, the middle and the minor arts. And this creates an the premises for a later confrontation in the next century. So... The last, let's say, 20 years of the 1300s is then the era of the Albizzi, which will, uh, is, is one in some sense, a step back to more like dynasty oligarchy, but it will prompt the reaction with the Medici and then the whole unfolding of the kind of explosion of, uh, of arts and, and culture with the Renaissance. So 
that is a very short overview of this century to sum it up for the whole 1300s. You have a huge boost in architecture, you have the early figures in painting, and you have the literary giants of Dante, Petrarca and Boccaccio. The rise of the merchant class gave enormous wealth, but then you have a big financial crash in the 1340s. And then the Black Death, which crushes the city in 1348. And the next uh, period with, with many events is then in the 1370s with the war between the papacy, the French papacy and Florence. And then you get the new oligarchy with the Albizzi family in the 1380s. So this is, uh, in short, the main uh, movements and forces that are, are, uh, are showing and kind of gradually emerging and, and manifesting themselves in this century. And with this growth and some setbacks, we are ready for the 1400s, the age of the Medici family and the Renaissance. So that's all we wanted to say in this episode. Uh, it's a bit of an intermediary uh, transitional century after the beginnings in the 1200s and then what is going to come in the 1400s. So we're now moving out of kind of the, the time of Dante, but he is still enormously influential through his work and what is going to unfold and kind of the uh, what was in 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 the sort of the fabric of the time almost with a, a rediscovery of the the, the classical age and um, more like the, you had new translations of the ancient works and you had this idea of more of the individual and what is seen as kind of the the, the founding and the cradle of the modern times in the 1400s so with that hope some of this was interesting and a little bit helpful for an overview and as always thank you so much for listening and see you again in another episode